Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee, and right after we finish 90 minutes of information to you, the body of Christ, looking at current events in light of biblical prophecy, Judy and I load up and we head over to Columbus, Georgia, the Grace Baptist Church. This church has sponsored us, Judy and I, on the mission field for many, many years, and we so appreciate their love and their support for us. We're looking forward to spending time with Pastor Seth Hahn and all of his fine people. A one-day prophecy conference starting at 9.45 in the morning and then 11 o'clock also Sunday morning. And at 5 o'clock for Prophecy Q&A, 6 p.m. We'll take advantage of the entire day of Sunday to give you a prophecy conference, one-day conference that will help you to understand where we are in many of the current events that are unfolding in our world today. That's the Grace Baptist Church over in Columbus, Georgia. Well, we're going now to Palm Beach, Florida. He went down the road a little bit from Jacksonville where he lives, and Ken Timmerman, the man who covers geopolitical activities for us, is a speaker at the conference there in Palm Beach, and we want to find out what he's going to be talking about, but then we'll have a conversation with him as well. Ken, I'm excited about your speaking here at the event unfolding there in Palm Beach. Well, Jimmy, I'm, I'm very proud and happy to be at the David Horowitz Freedom Center uh, here at their annual Restoration Weekend, and uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, the foreign policy of Donald Trump. That'll be exciting. You do that with us right here on Prophecy Today as well. So we'll give everybody a preview, and then you'll have a great opportunity to speak to that issue there at the conference. Let's uh, talk about the situation with Iran first before I want to get to Turkey and the visit by Tayyip Erdogan to the president there at the White House. But Iran has strongly condemned the Israeli assassination of the Palestinian Islamic Jihad commander, which has resulted in quite a few attacks on Israel from the Gaza Strip area. What do we know? Well, look, the commander who was, was killed was the uh, head of the military wing of Islamic Jihad. Islamic Jihad is the group that Iran sponsors and has always sponsored in the Gaza Strip. They, they're helping Hamas and they're providing military aid to Hamas, but there have been moments when Iran has backed off in that aid. Islamic Jihad, they have always sponsored. So the Israelis caught the guy, they killed the guy. The name was Abu al-Atta, uh, who was really the head of their military wing uh, for Islamic Jihad, was behind many, many attacks against Israel. Uh, the Israeli Defense Force said that they had information he was planning another imminent attack, and that's when they killed him. The Iranians said, we condemn this, obviously, and they've ordered their minions to strike against Israel. Uh, we'll have to see how far those strikes go. So far, it's been missile attacks, the new normal between uh, these terror groups and Israel. Yes, and though they have declared war, that may be a bit of bravado because Islamic Jihad, I think, would not have a chance against the Israeli Defense Force, even though uh, the targeted assassination is pretty effective as the Israeli Defense Force is concerned. They say they're not going to back away from that. They're going to continue it. But a declaration of war is a bit too much, don't you think, from Islamic Jihad? 
Well, as you say, they don't have the capability of doing that, and the Israelis have a great means of striking back. And once again, you know, look here at the difference between the U.S. reaction when this type of thing happens today under President Trump, who has said nothing about it, not a word of condemnation of Israel, and under President Obama, who would have blasted the Israelis and who even changed America's voting habits at the United Nations to stay silent when other countries were condemning Israel. So we now have a president who understands that Israel has a right to self-defense. This was a defensive action against a terrorist who is plotting uh, yet more terror attacks against Israeli civilians. And if Trump has said anything, he says that Israel has the right to defend themselves. So that puts Israel in good stead as far as the United States is concerned. Well, there was a visit by Tayyip Erdogan, who is the president, seemingly the president for life, there in Turkey. And it was a kind of a contentious meeting, I understand, because some of the U.S. senators were in the meeting with President Trump and Tayyip Erdogan. What's your observations of what did take place? Well, I thought it was very interesting. President Trump thought it necessary to bring in five key Republican senators, the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee and others, Rick Scott of Florida, to essentially show Erdogan that he was the good guy, he was the good cop in the room, and watch out, you better deal with me, the good cop, who's going to hold your feet to the fire, because otherwise you're going to get all of these bad cops who are promising right here and now to your face that the U.S. Senate and Congress in general will impose new sanctions on Turkey uh, if Turkey does not scale back its military operations in northern Syria and stop its attack against Kurdish civilians. Now, Erdogan thought he was going to steal the show, he pulled out an iPad during this meeting in the White House and showed a crude propaganda film uh, about the head of the Kurdish, the YPG, the Kurdish military arm, fighting ISIS, claiming that he was a terrorist himself. And Lindsey Graham, who was in the room, said, well, uh, gee, you want me to go to the, uh, to the Kurds and have them make a propaganda <laughs> film about your yeah actions. Yeah. What do you see what that one's going to look like, Mr. President, he said to Erdogan. So yes, it was a very contentious meeting, and Erdogan is an extraordinarily arrogant person, and he behaved with great arrogance, and I think he's going to get a comeuppance from the U.S. Congress. You know what's interesting to me, Ken, is both Turkey and the United States are members of NATO, which is pretty key, but really, uh, there is no relationship, or it seems to be a deteriorating re- relationship between the United States and Turkey. They're really no U.S. ally, are they? Well, the, the interesting thing to add here, Turkey was uh, one of the founders of ISIS. Turkey helped ISIS to market its oil. It bought the oil into Turkey. Turkey has created uh, hospitals to treat ISIS fighters. Turkey has brought ISIS fighters into its own militias that it's now redeploying in their northern Syria. And this is as an ally. What would Turkey have done if they were actually an adversary of the United States? Mm -hmm. Would they have done worse things than they're doing as a so-called ally? I think it's pretty clear that they're not behaving as an ally. What, What remains to be seen is what we can do about it as the United States government. The president is really in a quandary. He's got traditional thinkers at the Pentagon who say, well, Turkey's a member of NATO and we have to accommodate them. But Turkey has violated the NATO charter. We've spoken about this in previous weeks and I've written about this. They are in violation of the North Atlantic Charter by unilaterally attacking another country without the backing 
of NATO. NATO also has no uh, mechanism, by the way, for expelling members. <laughs> That's not part of the charter. You know, it's never happened before. So we are in uncharted territories. What to do with a so-called ally, Turkey, who's no longer behaving like an ally? Yes, that'll be a quandary that uh, NATO, the leadership there, has to deal with, seemingly in the very near future. One more item about Turkey. Looks like a lot of hate speech against Christians and Jews taking place there in Turkey. And really, instead of condemning it, Erdogan is enhancing the opportunity for that to take place. Now, I know that you're very much on top of persecution of Christians in the Middle East, but Turkey, this hate speech uh, against Christians and Jews, is going to enhance the activities of persecuting Christians and Jews. Oh, well, absolutely, Jimmy. Let's not forget... Uh, it was a 104 years ago in Turkey that a Turkish government launched the first genocide of the 20th century against Christians, against Armenians, Assyrian Christians, and Greek Orthodox. Okay, so it was Turkey, the homeland of genocide in the early 20th century. Erdogan is using much the same language that was used by his predecessors at that time, and it's absolutely shocking to hear this. Um, he has been tweeting out in Arabic, saluting ISIS fighters who are now fighting under Turkish flag against the Kurds. He has been saluting uh, these anti-Semitic statements and anti-Christian statements that are uh, popping up all over the country from uh, leaders of his local leaders of his party. Erdogan has not backed off from it. Uh, he's not tried to separate or distance himself from it. He has embraced this new wave of anti-Semitism and anti-Christian rhetoric and actions. They're closing churches in Turkey as well, the few that have remained. Remember, there are not that many churches that remain. They were destroyed during the genocide uh, from 1915 to 1919. So the few that remain, he is destroying. He is talking about making Hagia Sophia, uh, the great cathedrals in Istanbul, in you know, recommitting it as a mosque. Uh, this is a man who has set up the abomination of desolation in Istanbul and in Ankara. Yeah, yeah it's a prototype of that which is to come. Very, very interesting. Uh, the Russians, especially in the Defense Department, they need to be listening to what the United States is doing because they're leaking just as bad as many of the departments throughout the entire U.S. government Looks like they're leaking out right now information about the Israeli Defense Force, their weapons, etc. And uh, they have put out information that hundreds of F-35s are going to be put in many hangars that are being built in Israel. This is not good for security of Israel, is it? But this is a, uh, a, a disinformation campaign by the Russians aimed at stoking hatred of Israel and the United States in the Middle East with their allies, the Russian allies in Syria in the Middle East, but also by ordinary people. They did this all during the Cold War. It's no surprise to see them doing it again. Yes, Russian propaganda machine at work. That's Ken Timmerman, folks. He's down in Palm Beach, Florida, loving the weather down there, I'm sure, but he's there to speak at a conference, and let's pray for Ken as he does address the conference there. Ken, thank you so very much. We'll talk again next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Always my pleasure. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He's got a Middle East news update. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set. Every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Well, as promised, David Dolan standing by with his Middle East news update. You know, this report each and every week is key for those of us who are studying Bible prophecy. We talk about the events unfolding in the Middle East and in particular in Israel. And David, having been a journalist for over 35 years in that part of the world, is able to give us great insight. In fact, David, let me talk to you about the Israeli Defense Force targeted assassination of the Islamic Jihad commander uh, that uh, resulted in rockets being fired into Israel. Talk to me about this event. Well, Jimmy, of course, uh, another round in the long and bitter Palestinian-Israeli conflict this week with hundreds of rockets once again fired into Israel and Israeli aircraft striking back in Gaza uh, precipitously over several days. But, Jimmy, the analysis that I'm reading from Israel, different uh, military commentators, is that it was a great success on Israel's part, primarily because, as you said, on Tuesday morning early, they targeted Baha Abdul al-Atta, the Islamic Jihad leader, one of their leaders. Their overall political leader is in Damascus, Yad al-Nakhala, but uh, he was the local commander. They've been wanting to get him for some time, Jimmy. They know that he's been behind a lot of the rocket attacks over the past uh, few years. 
even though Israel has always said to Hamas, the overall rulers, that they are responsible for rockets coming out of their territory. Whoever fires them, they have the ability to stop that, and we're doing it. So they've been wanting to give this message, and of course, Islamic Jihad is very closely under Iran's control, more so even than Hamas. So this sends a message to them as well. They targeted him, and as expected, the Islamic Jihad group replied with rockets. The Israelis were ready for that. And, Jimmy, the Iron Dome system they announced on Friday, the IDF did, took out 93% of the rockets that were fired. Now, just imagine a few years ago, before that system was in place, we would have had dozens, if not Mm -hmm. hundreds, of Israeli deaths and wounded. Now, we did have over 30, 40 wounded, but mostly light injuries, glass and shrapnel and that. We did have one elderly woman uh, pretty seriously wounded in Ashkelon when a rocket hit uh, an old age home there, a retirement home there. Nevertheless, 93% did not get through those uh, mostly were aimed at civilian and city areas. They didn't even try to take out the ones that they projected were heading towards open fields because, Jimmy, I've mentioned this before, it costs about $100,000 every time Israel mm. fires that Iron Dome system. It's very sophisticated. It takes a lot of energy to uh, run it. Nevertheless, it did that. And uh, the main victory was that Hamas did not join in. And that was the calculation that they probably would not do so because they didn't initiate this. They weren't fully ready for it, although they talk about, as we spoke last week, that they have thousands of rockets, which they do. Their capability is much greater than Islamic Jihad's, a relatively small group. Nevertheless, they did not join in. And, Jimmy, I'm also hearing that the timing of this was due to several things. One was the preoccupation of the United States with the impeachment uh, hearings. Therefore, there wouldn't be that much international blowback against Israel for killing this Islamic Jihad leader, who, after all, is responsible for the deaths of many Jews and Israelis uh, around the Gaza Strip over some years now. But also that Iran uh, would not get involved, i.e. it would not unleash its proxy forces in Lebanon, Hezbollah, and Hamas in the Gaza Strip to join in the fighting because of the chaos in Lebanon and Iraq. And those are mostly anti-Iranian demonstrations, rioting going on in both countries, uh, great unrest there. And the uh, Hezbollah movement is seriously concerned about that in Lebanon and uh, pro-Iranian militias in Iraq as well. So they calculated Iran would stay out at this moment. They did. And, of course, this may not be the end of it. More rounds could come. But so far, it looks like a great Israeli success and no Israeli deaths. Of course, there were Palestinian casualties. Israelis are sorry for that. But they're not the ones constantly targeting Israeli civilian centers. Yes. Let me clear up some confusion, if you will, David. Islamic Jihad and Hamas, they're two different organizations, both located there in the Gaza Strip. Is that correct? It is, Jimmy, and Hamas rules the Gaza Strip, though. It's a much, much larger group than Islamic Jihad, which has maybe a couple thousand fighters. It has an arsenal that's much, much smaller, although, Jimmy, it was noted on Friday by the IDF, the spokesman, that they know they have many long-range rockets, they have drones, and they have a lot more mortar shells than they actually used in this fight. 
So what they're thinking is that the um, unexpected uh, targeted killing of Bahu Abdul Atta on Tuesday morning so disrupted their command structure, sent them into confusion and panic that they really didn't know how to respond or how strongly to respond. And they were urging Hamas to join in. And we do have to point out, Palestinians by their thousands were marching in the streets demanding, this happened on Friday morning as well, demanding that Hamas join in, quote, defending the Palestinian people. But their leadership uh, bit their tongue and did not do so at this time. So um, there's been a rivalry between them. Hamas would really like to see Islamic Jihad gone, frankly, because they want to run the whole show. But uh, they are more militant, more under Iran's control, like I said. Nevertheless, they did suffer a pretty big blow this week while the Israelis had disrupted lives, including, of course, rocket sirens in the Tel Aviv area. Some of their long-range rockets were fired. Several more were fired in the direction of Jerusalem, one landing near Beit Shemesh and some kibbutz settlements around there. That's, as you know, just a few miles uh, southwest of Jerusalem. Nevertheless, they didn't succeed in hitting the cities themselves. And mainly, most importantly, Hamas and Hezbollah made statements of support but stayed out of the fighting, probably under Iran's command. That was a victory for Israel. David, a interesting communique coming from the Sanhedrin, which is, of course, a part of the temple preparations to be built there in Jerusalem, the 70 wise Jewish scholars. They issued a final warning to Iran. Uh, they told Iran, either choose the path of King Cyrus or die like Haman. Very interesting communique. Well, it is, Jimmy, and I think it uh, expresses not only the religious leaders of Israel, their view, but the political and military leaders as well. We can't say that this means Iran's never going to go against Israel or that that threat is gone. That is not the case at all. There's uh, enormous uh, evidence that Iran is preparing to strike at Israel in a massive, major way. The thing is, they want to do it on their terms. They want to do it at their timing. And right now, as I said, with chaos gripping both Lebanon and Iraq, again, violent protests, more deaths, especially in Iraq this week, but uh, all sorts of political shenanigans going on in Lebanon as well. The banks still closed, people out of work, protests in all the streets. And those were mostly anti-Iranian protests going on in both countries, that this wasn't the time for them. This wasn't their uh, moment to attack Israel. So it doesn't mean they won't do so, but Israel wisely chose this moment to get rid of this Islamic Jihad leader that's been harassing them and causing casualties amongst Israelis for some time now, and so hopefully send a message to Iran, that message indeed, that you're not going to get away with this, of course, from the Sanhedrin's perspective, because the God of Israel is watching, and he has reestablished his country and nation, and Jerusalem is the Jewish people's capital once again, and he's watching over Israel. And Jimmy, I have been saying in a couple of messages I've sent to friends that God is the ultimate iron dome here, mm. not their defense system. That's wonderful. It performed very, very well. But the fact that they even have it, that they are ready for these sorts of things, is really uh, God's protection upon tiny Israel. And we saw that again this week. Well, very quickly, it looks like uh, Russia is leaking, or somebody has said a propaganda machine is in operation, saying that Israel is building a number of hangars to house hundreds 
of the U.S. F-35s that have come into the possession of Israel. Do you know anything about that? Well, Jimmy, the Russians are definitely taking a stronger and stronger anti-Israel stand all the time. We're hearing that Putin, while friendly with Netanyahu, that the military leaders in Russia don't like that. They want a harder stand. We see that, of course, in Syria, where Russia is now building bases under the U.S. nose, basically, in northeast Syria. And, of course, the U.S. is a strong ally of Israel. And those those aircraft, stealth aircraft, are going to be stationed in Israel. There's no question about that. The Russians don't like it. But we have another sign that there is a strong alliance there between the U.S. and Israel, despite political problems in America and the political problems continuing in Israel. That relationship remains, and Russia has to take that into consideration before they do anything against the Jewish state. Nevertheless, the signs are growing that their hostility is growing towards Israel, and you and I know that's both prophesied in the book. Absolutely, Ezekiel chapter 38. You've been listening to David Dolan as he's given us his Middle East news update, key for us to hear each and every week. David, thank you so much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless this week. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. Jim Jr. is standing by in Jerusalem. We want to talk to him. He's there where it's happening. We want to see what his reports are, and he's got a tour group. How are they doing? That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Great to have you along. We're here at Broadcast Central right after we get finished talking with all of our broadcast partners, and I take a look at the book We're going to head out to Columbus, Georgia, the Grace Baptist Church. We're going to be there for a one-day prophecy conference. Grace Baptist Church has been a longtime sponsor, supporting us financially and in prayer as we've been traveling across the country and around the world, teaching and preaching the information that we have from God's Word about the end-time scenario that is found in the Word, and of course, helping us to recognize where we are in God's time as we look at those prophetic passages. We're going to have uh, services all day on Sunday, starting at 945, the next service at 11 a.m. In the afternoon, we'll have a 5 o'clock session on Prophecy Q&A, and then the teaching at 6 p.m. One-day Prophecy Conference at the Grace Baptist Church, Columbus, Georgia, 
Pastor Seth Hahn invites you to come and join us as we study the prophetic word of God. Well, as promised, I said I was going to Jim Jr. Now, I mentioned when I was talking to you just before the break that he was in Jerusalem. Well, he was today, I do believe, now in Haifa. Jim, did you take the cruise tour group over to Jerusalem today? Yes, we sure did, Dad. We left the uh, cruise here in Haifa and went down to Jerusalem, where we did Jerusalem all in one day, if you can believe that. Well, that's uh, quite an extraordinary effort that you have made, because normally it takes us a couple of days, three maybe, even in Jerusalem. It's a key city. But this is a group that's on a cruise ship. They're traveling all across uh, that part of the world, ending up there in Haifa. And they had to go to Haifa instead of coming in at Ashdod and then going to Haifa because of what's going on there in southern Israel. Is that correct? That's correct. Starting two days ago, Dad, there were many rockets that were fired, almost over 450 rockets. I remember downloading the Red Alert app, which let us know when the rockets were being fired. And sure enough, as soon as I downloaded that app, it seemed like 30, 40, 50, 60 rockets were being fired, although we know that over 450 rockets were fired in the south and central part of Israel, close to the Ashdod port. A lot of the people in the south suffered and went through uh, all night as these uh, red alerts were coming in as they were firing the rockets towards the neighboring cities surrounding the area of the Gaza Strip. Well, we have been watching from afar what's going on over there and just had a conversation with some of our other broadcast partners helping us to understand what is happening. Jim, uh, you went to Haifa to get the group. You took them back. You're up in Haifa right now. There's no problem at all anywhere from Jerusalem north as it relates to these rockets coming in, is there? That's so true. Most of the rockets were fired around the Gaza Strip and the communities surrounding the Gaza Strip, uh, very close. Uh, One of the safest places that you could be would have been in Jerusalem today, as far as the rockets are concerned. One of the things that they don't have control over is where the rockets land. They can shoot them up into the air, although I believe about 90% of the rockets were taken out by the Iron Dome uh, defense system here in Israel. But there is a certain amount of them that got through, and the uh, Islamic Jihad did not know where they were going to land. Therefore, they don't shoot those rockets towards Jerusalem, because how would it be if they shot those rockets all the way to Jerusalem and they hit, for instance, the Dome of the Rock or the (laughs) Al-Aqsa Mosque or something like that. That would be a huge mistake on their part. So probably one of the safest places to be would have been in Jerusalem and certainly up here in Haifa. The rockets are not going to come from the Gaza Strip all the way up this far, although I have seen reports that they were trying to develop longer-range missiles or rockets that would reach uh, farther inland Uh, in Israel uh, to some of the other uh, higher population areas besides the local communities. And those areas would be Tel Aviv, uh, Haifa, which is the third largest city in Israel, and ultimately the outskirts of Jerusalem, if that is something that it would come to. But it looks like the Israeli Defense Force has taken a proactive measure in uh, taking out some of the Islamic Jihad leaders in 
the Gaza Strip. Yeah, that's the reports we have. Hey, I'd love the idea of letting one of those rockets hit the Dome of the Rock or a lock some locks. That, that would be able to get the, the building of that third temple up and going. Well, Jim, glad to hear you're safe. The tour is all safe, and you guys keep your heads down, and we'll talk to you and hope that uh, everything works out well and you'll have a safe journey home on tomorrow, Sunday, and we look forward to seeing you when you get back. Uh, we look forward to getting back, and thank you to all that were praying for us as they knew that we were here in the land of Israel. Very important report from Jim Jr. He and his brother Rick, they're in Jerusalem, and they had a cruise ship come in on Friday. They're touring the people off the cruise ship to see the unbelievable sights of the Bible lands there in the land of Israel. So glad they're safe. And I do pray for those who are in the south of Israel as it relates to those rockets that are being fired into southern Israel. Well, let's go to another region of the world that is so key in our understanding of current events and how they're setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. That's the European Union. And the man covering that for us is John Rood who has lived in that part of the world for over 30 years, living in Brussels, Belgium, headquarters for the European Union. And I understand, John, you're going to go back into Germany next week. We'll be able to contact you possibly in Germany, right? I believe so. We'll look forward to it. Absolutely. That'll be a great on-the-ground report from what's happening in the European Union. Well, speaking of Germany... Uh, They have just erected this last Saturday, November the 9th, a statue of Ronald Reagan. It was unveiled to mark the fall of the Berlin Wall, which took place some 30 years ago. That was an unbelievable event that took place, a historic event, and it started a chain of activities that would end up with Vladimir Putin becoming a president of Russia. When I take a look at the book, I'll go through that with you. But very interesting, the statue of Ronald Reagan put up. He's the one that said those six words, tear that wall down, Mr. Gorbachev. It did start (laughs) all of this. Yes, Berlin falling was such a dramatic event at the time. I'd taken many trips into Eastern Europe before the wall. It It was very, very oppressive. In 1988, I was walking along the Berlin Wall with a colleague who was resident, and he told me, this wall could never fall. It would be absolute chaos. And it was less than a year that it was down. Mm. So that was a remarkable event and brought some very good freedom and a great openness to the gospel initially for uh, Eastern Europe. So it's good to see a commemoration Again, as you said, Jimmy, is just absolutely dramatic. Tear down this wall, Mr. Gorbachev, what a statement. And then, of course, John Kennedy's speech in Germany. And so Germany is, is grateful for the role of the United States. But German Chancellor Angela Merkel has you know, come out in the celebration time and said the values on which Europe is founded, freedom, democracy, equality, rule of law, human rights, they are anything but self-evident, and they have to be revitalized and defended time and time again. That's human nature. These things must be defended. 
Yes, they should. Well, Berlin is the subject of uh, a decision, a very important business decision by Mr. Musk, Elon Musk, who is the man who is developing these electric cars. He looked over the European Union, decided to go to Berlin. He said Berlin rocks. And that's where he's going to put his European factory. Was thinking about Great Britain, but because of Brexit, he moved it to Berlin. Boy, that's a uh, that's a major point for the Berlin economy, isn't it? Exactly. And this is one of the first very major observances we can have seen of the Brexit effect. So Elon Musk uh, absolutely was not going to take the risk, and he's a risk taker to... Uh, put the gigafactory, which he calls them, in the United Kingdom. So now the base is going to be Germany. It's going to be a great help for Germany. He, these are absolutely enormous factories that work for constructing electric cars, engineering, manufacturing of the batteries. The gigafactory that he started in Nevada is planned to be the largest building in the world mm. by far. So uh, it's going to be a hit to the United Kingdom, and it can affect some of those proceedings, knowing that they're missing out on such a large chunk of economic action. You know, we report all this information. You may think, why are you talking about this business moving to Berlin? Folks, we look at the economy of the European Union, the political activities and everything, it is fitting into a prophetic scenario to bring about the revival of the old Roman Empire. That's why we cover these political issues, because it's setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And in light of that, John, talk to me about North Macedonia. The president from there met with the president of France, Macron, after the veto by Macron that uh, North Macedonia cannot be included in the European Union. Why is he going after North Macedonia? We had discussed North Macedonia, I believe it was possibly last week or the week before, and we had mentioned how being denied membership in the European Union, which was caused directly by the French veto, they were the only one that vetoed their membership, that this would open up the way for more influence from the East and from Russia. And uh, sure enough, that was the response right away. Uh, Russia is going to fill these vacuums if they're created. Yet now we've had sort of a bounce back on this, and newly elected president of North Macedonia, who is Stevo Penderovsky, He's actually come with a great uh, conciliatory attitude to France. And so they'll be meeting in Paris and just let's see how we can work out our differences and being very level-headed with this. Uh, I believe the, the basis of this is, of course, not only getting into the European Union, but North Macedonia is actually a member of NATO. They've been accepted into NATO just February of 2019, except to, to be full member, it needs to be ratified by all the members of NATO. And so from this time this year, only about maybe three-quarters of the, of the nations have ratified that. So therefore, North Macedonia is going to need to exhibit some very good behavior in this trying time. To get into the European Union, there is a great move that they could make it. It was only France that was against. But... We don't want to have a parallel situation 
which happened with Turkey, where Turkey was consistently ignored and delayed, and then that has turned into a dramatic situation between Turkey and the European Union. Let me get one more issue in here before I have to let you go, John. European Union shops have been told that they have to label the products that were made in the Israeli settlements, and the judge ruled that in a decision to actually anger Israel. What's the problem there? This is something that has been uh, instigated for some time, but the European Court of Justice, which is in Luxembourg, uh, actually came through with this uh, decision now, which is binding. The European Court of Justice deals with some of these legal issues. It's lesser known of the European Union institutions. Of course, we have the European Commission, European Council, European Parliament, the large building in Brussels. The European Court of Justice is in Luxembourg. So they have stepped in And what strikes me about this decision is not only do the products that have provenance, uh, what they're saying in the Israeli-occupied territories, they're saying that this decision has been made to label the products so that the consumers can make informed choices. Mm -hmm. So you can see that this is a very pointed uh, decision There's many disputes worldwide on territories, and no such thing has been done for any other group. And so the generic tag, a labeling of products made in Israel, apparently is not good enough for Europe. So this is is not a move in the right direction. And in Israel, of course, you will see some backlash to this, because it uh, does point to attitudes that have been in the past for separating from the general role of uh, world economics and how nations function. Yeah, and that's just a part of the anti-Semitism that is rearing its ugly head there in Europe, a part of an end-time scenario. As we said, talk about the political. It sets the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. Well, John, have a safe journey over to Germany. Hope to be able to talk with you next week from Germany. But we'll have a conversation one way or the other so you can give us your European Union update. Thank you so much, my good friend. Very good. Thank you. Very interesting conversation with John Rood, who keeps us updated on the political activities of the European Union as they are setting the prophetic scenario that's laid out in God's Word for that particular scenario to be fulfilled. Always going to go to John to get that late information. Well, we're going to stay basically in the old Roman Empire area, the European Union still, and we're going to go to Rome to focus on something that's going on there. Mike Gendron, one of our broadcast partners, is standing by. You might know that Mike has a ministry entitled Proclaiming the Gospel. And their website address is proclaimingthegospel.org. I would suggest you go there and find out all the information that Mike presents as he is focused on trying to win Catholics to Jesus Christ. We're going to focus on the fact that there is a pagan Canaanite god that is at the entrance there in the city of Rome to the Colosseum area. If you've ever been to Rome, you'll recognize that the old forum there is where the Colosseum is located. It was built in 71 A.D. in an interesting background 
Vespasian had just become the new Roman emperor after Rome had basically burned down because of Nero, who was the emperor at the time in 64 A.D. Vespasian was leaving the Middle East. He was there in Caesarea, got on the ship to go across the Mediterranean to Rome. He brought his son, General Titus, who was the head of the Roman army, to his side, and he said, Son, I want you to go back to Jerusalem. I want you to destroy the city of Jerusalem, tear down that temple, and disperse the Jews to the four corners of the earth. Interesting, in my quiet time, I was reading Deuteronomy 28 today, and that's exactly what that prophecy in Deuteronomy 28 talks about. By the way, Vespasian, who was going to be the new Roman emperor, told his son, who was the head of the Roman military forces, to tear that temple down and to bring all the treasures in the temple. I've read reports of about 50 tons of gold and silver that were in that temple. And they were taken over to Rome for Vespasian to go ahead and rebuild the Roman Empire. And now, Mike, in front at the entrance of the Colosseum, they have this statue of the Canaanite god Molech. I'm understanding that this is quite strange. It's actually a strike against many Christians because of the fact that that uh, great Colosseum was used at one time to martyr Christians right there in the city of Rome, and now they have this pagan god at the entrance of it. Talk to me about what's going on. Well, Jimmy, I'm just so thankful that you are exposing the evil deeds of darkness. That's what we're called to do in Ephesians 5.11. And it really is a concern to me that Roman Catholics are following this pope who has made some very bizarre statements over the years that he's been in the papacy. But uh, I think right now we're seeing the Vatican's fixation and obsession with pagan idols like never before. And this is just one of, of, of a brewing controversy that is going on. We'll talk a little bit about this pagan goddess that is now in front of the Roman Colosseum. The timing of this is really interesting because it took place nine days before the Amazon Synod began. And that was the Synod that brought the um, bishops of the Catholic Church to discuss their ministry in South America. And so the timing of this was very interesting. The statue is actually a reconstruction of the wicked and horrific deity Moloch, who was worshipped as the pagan religions of Phoenicia and Carthage. Some Catholics are now distressed that the pagan god Moloch has been erected at the entrance of the Colosseum, where, as you said, Christians were tortured and executed for entertainment of the pagan crowds. And what makes this even more shocking is that the Colosseum is controlled by the Vatican. In fact, I did some research and found that a, a source close to this matter reported that there is no way that such a thing could be done without direct permission from the highest levels of the Vatican. The Colosseum of Rome is owned by the Vatican and the Diocese of Rome, which is also called the Holy See. So if anyone wants to do anything there, they must get permission from the office of the Diocese of Rome. So this exhibition called Carthage, the Immortal Myth, could not be held there unless permission was granted at the highest levels. But Jimmy, I want to talk a little bit about another pagan idol that uh, has caused quite a controversy, and 
both of these pagan idols and statues were brought in during this Amazon Synod. It's really interesting because the idols first appeared at an October 4th tree planting ceremony in the Vatican Gardens. This was overseen by Pope Francis, and he referred to the statues as Pacamama, the name which is traditionally given to the Andean fertility goddess, which is also addressed as Mother Earth. So some of your listeners might be thinking, oh, this is too bizarre and outrageous to be true even for the Pope. How can he say he loves Jesus one day and then venerate the statue of a pagan goddess the next day? Well, there is actually a video of the ceremony that shows Pope Francis blessing the statue Mm. of the naked pregnant goddess before receiving it as a gift from the Amazon clergy. Mm. And so we're going to actually be reporting on this in my next newsletter, which comes out December 1st and giving all the links to uh, this particular story. And, Jimmy, as you said earlier, my heart's desire is to rescue Roman Catholics out from this wicked religion that's under the curse of God for perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we see in Galatians 1. And so hopefully your broadcast will not only encourage your Christian audience to reach out to Roman Catholics, but also if any Roman Catholics are listening, maybe they will look to the true head of the Church, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, yes, sir, absolutely, and I hope and pray that will be the case. By the way, you said you're going to write this up in your next newsletter. How could someone get that newsletter? Well, they can simply go to our website, proclaimingthegospel.org, and they can sign up on the very front page, and it's a free newsletter. It goes out once a month and uh, via email. And so I'd like your listeners to know that... Uh, All this controversy over venerating pagan idols has really caused a lot of protest within some of the conservative Roman Catholics. In fact, more than a hundred distinguished Catholic clergy and scholars from across the world have actually signed a petition to protest the Pope's sacrilegious acts. And so the Declaration condemns these acts of the successor of St. Peter. Mm. The signatories declared With immense sorrow and deep love for the chair of Peter, we beg Almighty God to spare the guilty members of his church on earth the punishment that they deserve for these terrible sins. Mm. They continued, we respectfully ask Pope Francis to repent publicly and unambiguously of these objectively grave sins and all of the public offenses that he has committed against God and the true religion, and to make reparation for these offenses. By by the way, I'm going to say something about this when I take a look at the book at the end of this particular broadcast, and we'll talk about the Valley of Hinnom. Uh, The Jewish people were involved with Molech. This goddess was for the sacrifice of children, Deuteronomy 18. We'll talk more about that when I take a look at the book. Mike, what you have been reporting to us seemingly is indicating that the Pope is moving so quickly towards a all type of religious activity that will be headquartered in Rome, the false church. Does that seem what's going on to you? Well, there's no doubt in my mind, if we're in the season of the Lord's return, we see so much happening right before our eyes, and um, I'm just so encouraged by it. A lot of people would say, how can you be encouraged by this wicked and pagan religion really 
seeking to unite all the world's religions together. And I'm encouraged because this is what the Bible prophecy teaches, that in the end times there will be a global religion that will be led by a false prophet who will point the world to Antichrist. Mm -hmm. And so anybody that's a student of Bible prophecy has to look to Rome right now and see that the Pope is not only gathering together Christian religions and non-Christian religions, but also pagan religions. And so it's just very exciting to see, Jimmy, and I know you're excited as well. I certainly am, and it's thrilling that the rapture of the Church could take place, because that does happen before Revelation chapter 17 happens according to the prophetic scenario that's found in the book of Revelation. Well, we're excited, but it also should encourage us to go out and try to win as many Catholic people as we can to Jesus Christ, shouldn't it? Well, Jimmy, that's the reason the Lord left us here after we were born again. He has given us a great responsibility. When he came to this earth, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And when he ascended into heaven, he passed the baton to his church And now we are to seek after those who will never seek after the true God and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to them so that they can repent of their false religion and put all of their trust in the all-sufficient Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. So I would encourage your listeners to be faithful to the Great Commission because the Lord could come at any moment, and God doesn't promise anyone tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Absolutely. Today, the day of salvation, but also at the same time, today could be the day of the rapture as well. Mike, thank you so very much for your input that you give us on this particular subject. Proclaimingthegospel.org is the address, the website for Mike. Go there and find out more information. And Mike, I'm sure we'll have to have more conversations down the road. It's always a pleasure to be with you, Jimmy. Keep looking up. Our redemption is nigh. Amen and amen. Well, we're going to have to take a break right now. When we come back, we have one more broadcast partner, David James. We're going to be talking about atheists who are warning they're concerned about the disappearance of Christians. (laughs) That's an interesting subject. We'll talk with David James about that. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're here at Broadcast Central. I want you to stay tuned. David James and I are going to have a conversation. We'll be talking about the atheists who are concerned that the Christians are disappearing. They need the Christians, the atheists say. You want to hear that conversation. Very, very interesting. And by the way, do me a favor. Answer my poll question on my homepage, prophecytoday.com. On the left-hand column, scroll down. Here's the question. With Iranian-backed Islamic Jihad in the Gaza Strip declaring war on Israel and firing over 500 rockets in two days into Israel, does it seem to you that we are at the point the Jewish prophets wrote about when they said and foretold the end-time scenario for Iran and Islamic Jihad? Now, that's our poll question. And while you're at the website, 
Look at the top of my home page. The banner there will give you the information about our School of Prophets conference upcoming in December. It's going to be a great time. David and I will be teaching. You can go to the banner. They'll give you all the details you need to have. We now bring to this microphone David James. It's that time of the week on the broadcast when we have a conversation with David. He and I get together to talk about an issue that is confronting the body of Christ, we as Christians. And in order to be able to have our daily walk in a biblical perspective, we need to understand these issues from a biblical context as well. We're going to do that today with David as we have our conversation. By the way, this week, we connect with David. He's up in New England where he's speaking at yet another God's Plan Through the Ages conference. Talk to us about it, David. Well, that's right, Jimmy. I'm in New Hampshire where I'm speaking at a conference at the New Hampshire State Prison for Men in Concord, and it's been organized by my good friend Brian Gower, whom you know as well, who's the pastor of Community Christian Church up there in Center Barnstead, just north of Concord, and he oversees the conference portion of this prison ministry. I think this is the fourth conference I've done in this facility over the last six years or so, and it's the sixth time I'm doing God's Plan Through the Ages just this year with two more to go. It's a bit of a challenge doing this particular course uh, in prison because I can't take my computer in for security reasons, and as you know, I make extensive use of videos and multimedia in this course, and I had to convert all of my slides to picture format so it doesn't have any videos or sound in it. But either way, you know, this is a unique course, and most of these guys will have never had any exposure to understanding the Bible from this perspective. And also, I would let our listeners know, I'm in the middle of working on editing previous videos of this course when I taught it at Word of Life in New York a couple of years ago, and I'm putting the course into a format that I can distribute for personal use and that could be used in churches for Sunday school or Bible studies. And then, of course, I'll be with you at the Prophecy Conference in Chattanooga the first week of December, and we'll be teaching uh, God's plan there as well, and I hope to see some of our listeners there, and if not in person they'll be able to join us via live streaming. Yeah, that'll be a great opportunity to do exactly what you've just said and see this terrific look at the entire Word of God from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 22. By the way, go to our website, prophecytoday.com. On the home page, at the top of the page, there's a rotating banner. And if you'll just wait a moment, if it's not there, it'll appear all the information you need, how to register, the dates, exactly where it's going to be held here in Chattanooga. It's going to be on the Tennessee River. It's a beautiful, beautiful location. Go and come and sign up. We've already got a group coming. We want you to consider coming or at least take the courses on streaming. Live streaming will be available to you. I'll be doing, in addition to what Dave is doing, he's doing God's plan through the ages, I'll be doing my third part in prophecy in every book of the Bible. I'm going to take the last 17 chapters of the Old Testament. Those are the major and minor prophets and then the book of Revelation. So go to the website, prophecytoday.com, to get all the information you need to register and be sure to come along and join us. Well, David, on last week's program, we did a rerun of a previous discussion that you and I had on this segment of the broadcast because you were on an international trip 
We weren't able, however, to connect with you as we normally do when you're overseas. I know we can't get into certain details because of where you were, but from our phone call a few days ago, it seems that you had a very interesting trip. What can you tell us about it? Well, last week I was able to travel into a restricted access country to look into some possibilities for future ministry, not only for the Alliance for Biblical Integrity, but also for possible networking with other people I know of in the country with another ministry. And at some point in the future, I might be able to say more about where I was, but for now I'm being careful about how much I say publicly because of possible problems it might cause for believers and those who minister there. But I can say this, I was able to go into this country with a friend who made a contact with a pastor there, uh, and again, I was surprised to find out he really does believe what we believe. He holds to a high view of Scripture, meaning he believes it's inspired, inerrant, authoritative, the Word of God. He, he is pre-trip dispensational. He holds to the eternal security of the believer, and he's not charismatic. Now we're talking about how we might move forward with some kind of training at a conference next year and with connecting his ministry with another ministry that I've worked with in other countries around the world. Well, that is a great report. Man, that sounds great, David. I'm so happy for you and the open door, another open opportunity. Keep us posted. We will be praying. David, let's get to this week's topic, if we will. A few days ago, uh, there was an article on the LifeSite News website. It was concerning some atheists who are beginning to be concerned themselves that the decline of Christianity's influence on society may not be a good thing after all. That's right. The title of the article is Atheists Sound the Alarm. Decline of Christianity is Seriously Hurting Society. The author of that article wrote the following in his lead paragraph. Only a few years ago, the aggressive, quote-unquote, new atheist movement was on the march with rhetorical brawlers like Christopher Hitchens and renowned biologists like Richard Dawkins leading the charge against religion and the last vestiges of Christian faith in the West. Now, we don't want to get into the weeds by putting a lot of names out there, but Hitchens and Dawkins have had tremendous influence for atheism and against organized religion, especially biblical Christianity. And this author went on to say, but as Christianity fades further and further into our civilization's rearview mirror, many intelligent atheists are beginning to realize that the Enlightenment may have only achieved success because it wielded influence on Christian culture. In a truly secular society in which men and women live their lives beneath empty heavens and expect to be recycled rather than resurrected, there is no solid moral foundation for good and evil. So in other words, some atheists are realizing that the Enlightenment couldn't have taken place if it weren't for the theological and philosophical underpinnings of Christianity. Uh, in an article on the History Channel website, they describe the Enlightenment this way. European politics, philosophy, science, and communications were radically reoriented during the course of the Enlightenment, which was mostly in the 18th century. They go on to say, Enlightenment thinkers throughout Europe questioned traditional authority and, and embraced the notion that humanity could be improved through rational change. So going back to the article, one of the most important points is that atheism has no no real foundation for defining morality that is what is right or wrong and what is good or evil. Wow, that's very interesting coming from 
the major players in atheism today. Well, I noticed that the author of the article said that one of these concerned atheists believes that our modern concept on human rights could not survive for very long if Christianity did not exist. Well, that's right. This author, who is also a columnist and and radio uh, program host, said this. When he, the atheist, joined me on my show recently to discuss his latest book, The Madness of Crowds, he reiterated that he believes that in the absence of the secularist ability to hammer out ethics on fundamental issues such as the sanctity of life, we may be forced to recognize that returning to faith is the best option available to us. Now, this is very interesting because Richard Dawkins has said that all of society's ills can be traced back to religious belief. And one of Dawkins' most famous statements against the God of the Bible is this. He said, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. I mean, it's even hard to put all that together. You know, for a long time, atheists were happy to simply deny the existence of God uh, and fairly content to debate it with Christians in a fairly calm way. But in the past few decades, they've become more and more militant. Yeah, and I wish that guy would say actually what he really means. <laughs> let You're us right. know what he's thinking is. Well, let's continue to think about the matter of the philosophical foundation for morality. What do you say to an atheist who argues that it is possible for individuals and society to have moral standards and just laws apart from the existence of God? Well, the first thing I would do, I would point them to who William Lane Craig, who's one of the top uh, Christian apologists and philosophers of our generation. On his website, he writes in one of his articles, if God does not exist, then morality is just a human convention. That is to say, morality is wholly subjective and non-binding. Then he goes on to say this, if atheism is true, objective moral values do not exist. If God does not exist, then what is the foundation for moral values? If God does not exist, then it is difficult to see any reason to think that human beings are special or that their morality is objectively true. Uh, Jimmy, several years ago, I ended up in a discussion on an internet chat room with someone who claimed to be an atheist about this issue, and he was arguing that there can be morality apart from God. So I asked him about the problem about when you have philosophical differences concerning what's right or wrong. And I asked, what happens when one person thinks murder is wrong and the other doesn't? Who gets to decide? And the only answer he could give me was whatever the majority decided. So then I asked him if he thought murder was wrong, and he said it was. And then I replied, well, what if someone disagrees and wants to kill you? And all he could say was that society has passed laws against murder, and my response was, well, then it might be a stupid decision because you'll end up in jail or maybe executed, but you can't say it's morally wrong. And what if the majority changes its mind? You know, Psalm 14.1 says, the fool says in his heart there is no God, and at least some atheists are now beginning to figure this out. Yeah, the fool makes that statement. David, a few days ago when we were discussing today's program, you were telling me that this whole issue really has sort of a deep connection with the start 
of the Word of Life ministry there in Hungary. Tell me about it. Well, as most of our older listeners will remember, the Berlin Wall fell 30 years ago this month, and it led to the collapse of the Soviet Union. Go back five years prior to that, 1984, uh, the overseas director for Word of Life was uh, on a flight back from Hungary to the United States. He ended up seated next to a wealthy Hungarian Jewish businessman who had connections at the highest level of the communist government. And they ended up in a conversation about the ministry of Word of Life and how Word of Life ministers the young people to give them hope and change in their lives. And he was deeply interested in this as a survivor of the Jewish Holocaust in Hungary. And he told Paul Buber that communism had failed and that they were losing a whole generation to sex and drugs and deviant lifestyles. So this is exactly what some of these atheists are now saying publicly. And as missionaries to Eastern Europe, we saw this firsthand in those early years. And just as an interesting point, just two weeks before the Berlin in wall fell, my wife and I had made decisions to go behind what we thought was going to be the Iron Curtain there in the fall of 1989. Hmm. Wow. Well, the Lord opened up a great door for you. I've always said to somebody who claims to be an atheist, I said, well, that must mean that you're anti-God. They said, yes. I said, well, if there is no God, how can you be anti-God? <laughs> Interesting way right. to get a, get a conversation going. David, thank you for the research on this. And Great report about that country you went into. We're hoping that that'll be an open door for you as well. We'll be praying for you there that you do get out of prison today once you finished up the conference up there. We'll have another conversation next week, buddy. Thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate it so much. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to open the Bible. We'll take a look at the book, consider all the reports from our broadcast partners, and how that fits into the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical 
biblical prophecies of the past as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Amazingly, our broadcast partners have given us excellent reports this time. I say amazingly because we go into details behind all of the headlines. We give you details that help you understand how these current events are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. You know, these reports follow the prophetic scenario found in the Word of God. We look at the Word of God first and then the current events to see if indeed these activities happening in our world today fit into that end-time scenario. Well, that's why it's so amazing that as we look at all of these stories and hear the conversations from our broadcast partners, we can discern where we are in God's time and the urgency of the moment. That's why it's so key for you to listen in to these conversations. You can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and there if you go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, you'll be able to listen to each and all of the conversations with my broadcast partners. And I would encourage you right now to send along the link to all of these conversations with my broadcast partners to a dear friend or someone you know that may be interested in prophecy. If you'll send these links along, they'll be able to hear the conversations and understand how exciting it is to realize where we are in God's time for the future. God has a plan. It will be played out. And as we are watching it from the sidelines, my broadcast partners come to this broadcast table to give us all the information. For example, we talked with Ken Timmerman. Ken talked to us about the visit by Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan. He was at the White House and came into a contentious meeting because the president brought in six United States senators who have concern about what the Turkish government and military has been doing, especially in light of the Kurds who have been helping the United States with boots on the ground to take out Islamic State. Ken brought to our attention it was Turkey that helped establish Islamic State. And it talks about Tayyip Erdogan, who is going to be a major player. He has a desire to be the pan-Islamic leader. He wants to restore the old Ottoman Empire, which was the Turkish Empire, and he will be involved in endeavoring to try to form that coalition of nations that will come up and go against the Jewish state of Israel. That's Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 5. And you have to put that together with what is given to us in Psalm 83 and the book of Daniel chapter 11, starting with verse 40 going through verse 45. Ken Timmerman gave us a great report in the meeting between Donald Trump and Turkish President Erdogan. 
And then David Dolan gave us his Middle East news update. That's an essential. You need to hear this Middle East news update because when David looks at Israel and all of the events unfolding there, it helps us to realize how close that end time scenario from the book of Ezekiel and Daniel is about to happen. Everything is in place. The players are on the stage. The curtain is about to go up on the final drama. For example, this week, Islamic Jihad. By the way, they are backed by the Iranians. They sponsor terrorist organizations, of course, and Islamic Jihad, they're in the Gaza Strip along with Hamas. But they're two different organizations, Islamic Jihad declaring war on Israel this week. And they started firing the rockets into Israel. Over 500 rockets in two days. That's exactly why the Israeli Defense Force had to respond. Early on, they had killed a targeted assassination of the leader of Islamic Jihad because of what they knew he was getting ready to do and an attack against the Jewish state of Israel. Well, that has resulted in the skirmishes that are going on. David Dolan updated on all of that to us so we could understand where that is unfolding right now there in the Gaza Strip and southern Israel. Talk with Jim Jr., our son. He and his brother Rick, they are leading a tour group off of a cruise ship that came into Haifa. They were supposed to go to Ashdod because of the rockets they couldn't, so two nights in Haifa, and Jim and Rick are taking them, took them to Jerusalem on Friday. On Saturday, went up into the Galilee. Quite an extension for those on the cruise ship. Great time with Jim and Rick. We want you to know that uh, they wouldn't be there unless it was safe in that part of Israel. So don't worry about those tours going to Israel. We make sure that we take care of all that come and join us. Listen, our two sons are there. We know for sure that they're going to be okay. John Rood gave us an update on the European Union. That's another key region of the world. As you watch the political activities unfolding in the European Union, you can see the preparation for the prophetic scenario, the revival of the old Roman Empire to take place. And we were talking about the statue of Ronald Reagan that was erected there in Berlin at the Brandenburg Gate. Now that's where that wall, the wall between East and West Berlin, fell some 30 years ago in November of 1989. And Ronald Reagan called for that to happen in 1987. That started a domino effect which actually brought down the communist Soviet Union and established Vladimir Putin as the leader of Russia. Mike Gendron talked about Molik. That is one of the Canaanite goddesses, and that statue of Molech is at the entrance of the Colosseum. Remember, the Roman Colosseum was built with money that General Titus, the leader of the Roman army, took out of the temple in Jerusalem, about 50 tons of gold and silver. And in the Colosseum, there were many Christians that were slaughtered for the entertainment of the Roman people and for them to put up Molech, which was, of course, one of the idols that the Jewish people were told to. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9 and following says, Do not allow your children to go through the fire. David James talked about the atheists. The atheists are concerned where the Christians going. They understand that Christianity is, and God's word is the only way we have an understanding of morality in this world. 
Well, all of these reports helping us to understand the times in which we're living, recognizing that everything we reported on is a stage setter for the end-time scenario found in the Word of God. And the next thing to happen is the rapture of the church. By the way, that rapture, according to what we reported today, could happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.